Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I am looking for the best, the brightest, the buzziest. Excuse me, Nick. We gotta, we gotta uh, kind of tone Ian, this down a little Ian bit. Lit heads, I'd like to begin this week with an appeal. What? Today's world is a dark place full of death, misery, and cultural fracture. Intellectualism like is under attack. Critical thinking is under attack. The structure of this podcast Books is under attack. Are under attack. Assaulted. So I think it's time for us to deal with a major injustice. A hateful slur that demeans and degrades our most dedicated public employees, those well-known spectacled protectors of community knowledge who say shh and check out books to us and occasionally Blu-rays. No longer will we refer to them in the old hateful way. Let's say no to hate. Yes. To hope. Let's say no to librarians and say yes to truth brarians. <laughs> Wow, Ian really st- is strong on truth earlier and earlier in these episodes. Truth brarians. Mm. All right. Wave that flag. I'm looking forward to you dying on this hill. <laughs> truth brarians. It's uh, really so any- good. It's anyway, uh, we're looking for the best buzzy bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so excuse me. Buzz, miss, buzz. To help me are two truth brarians. <laughs> uh, Ian and Joe. Also teachers. Nick, if you're looking for the best buzzy bestseller, I brought, I thought this was a B theme. I brought a B book. Is that, no, I didn't really bring a B book. I brought a really great book called Kiss the Girls, a buzzy bestseller by James Batterson. No, his name is James Patterson. He sold like a trillion books. Uh, recommended by loyal lithead Hunter. Bonjour and Baba Booey, big boys. Today I brought a banger of a book, a brave book, a brilliant bricolage of bonkers fictional biography. This week for Buzzy Bestsellers, I brung Donna Tartt's Pulitzer Prize winning Buildings Roman. The Goldfinch, as recommended many, many years ago by loyal lithead Alicia Blake. Wow. All those bees. It's a bee week. Bringing our A game this week. Yeah, there's a, there's a joke there. I, I can't bring, quite get to it. I think you could just say we're bringing our B game. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact: that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Now, I'm sure we've done it before, but I don't remember the last time we've pitted two lit heads against each other like this. Yeah, this is exciting. I don't, um, I'm not totally sure we have done this before. I feel like the lit head episodes are one lit head versus, you know, whatever dumb thing Ian or I want to talk about. Right. Well, I mean, we haven't knowingly done it. You know, like I'm sure on our wiki, somebody's called it out that, you on know, the right. Right. Well, yeah. episode yeah, I'll, go, I'll go to the wiki. Yeah, five thousand. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, you know, and every time we have a cop out, I or not a cop out. Every time we have one of these episodes, I do feel like I have a tremendous responsibility. Like I am the champion for the lithead who's recommended the book. Oh, yeah, if I'm the one that brings it. Uh, but today, it I feel like that even more so. I feel like it's Hunter and I versus Ian and and whoever his person is. Yeah, yeah, it's like a tag team match. Two two litheads enter. One lithead leaves on a stretcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yikes. probably it's going to be Hunter. And, and don't forget a, a teacher. And yes, one lit head leaves on a stretcher. The other lit head leaves on the shoulders of the triumphant teacher. Oh, or maybe okay. vice versa, because we're doing 
um, Dead Poet Society rules. Right. Well, and then and I do like the idea of us being on their shoulders because then we do the chicken fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to say that I was misled by popular media, but my students haven't even like put me on a desk, much oh, less carried God. me on their shoulders. I Wait, they ha- you've never been carried on your shoulders by your Has students? this happened to you? Oh, no. This is Maybe I, it's I, like, every class, right, Joe? They carry well, you out? Well, not every class, but I mean, once a quarter for sure. Ian, are oh. you a terrible teacher? I think I, mean, I must I, be. The, I get to my car after school on the shoulders of my, te- of my oh, students. Oh, okay, okay. No, I think you guys are both probably pretty good teachers. The bar is very low, guys. <laughs> hey, there will be no that teacher is... bashing on this show. Truth, truthers. <laughs> that's what we're going to call teachers. <laughs> Joe, you do understand that the word librarian has lie in it and the opposite right, of lie. But truth anyway. bar- I, I get it, Ian. I get it. Welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, strongly where podcast. every week uh, I pick a theme and two high school English teachers and my only friends, Ian and Joe, both pick bring book recommendations. <laughs> See, Lidheads, he's hoping, he keeps hoping that one of you will be his friend, mm-hmm, but we just, mm-hmm. I just want to warn oh, you. for sure. I want to warn you on behalf of Joe, don't do it. This is... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, see, see how Ian is gaslighting you. Ian is gaslighting you into thinking <laughs> that being my friend is a bad thing, um, mm-hmm. but I will be your friend, Lidheads. That's yep. for sure. Nick is a... Hey, if you want Nick to be your friend, he is a good cook. For example, that's one thing oh. that he brings to the table. He's a very good I could cook. Make you a plate of food. And we have some rules <laughs> to keep us on track. Rule number one only unavoidable spoilers today, please, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, rule number two omit needless, uh, omit needless words, words, Joseph. And Ian, feel free to chime in there as well or okay, don't chime in. And then uh, rule number. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rule number three or whatever. Uh, only winning oh, matters. Only winning, yeah, winning matters. Winning matters. And, which is, yeah, but never been so important uh, for of, uh, mm-hmm. Litheads, Ia, Hunter, and Alicia here. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Welcome, welcome to the Thunderdome, Hunter and Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they knew what they were getting themselves. The first rule of Lithead Thunderdome is mm-hmm. there are no rules. The oh, second right. rule is don't talk about Thunderdome. The third rule yeah. is tell all your friends about mm-hmm. Thunderdome. Yeah, if you could promote it on social media, that would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, that would be great. And the fourth rule is, of course, Thunderdome. <laughs> you can't can't argue with that. That's truth. That's a truth barrier right there. Have we ever talked about Beyond Thunderdome on this show or no? Not today. What's up, Joe? Listen, we're three white guys talking about books, not three white guys talking about movies. That's a different podcast. All right. um, not just movies. I think we should just have a Mad Max spinoff podcast. Wow, that would have legs. Specific. <laughs> What would we, hold on, before we move on, Joe, what would we talk about? Uh, we would talk first about Mad Max, uh, and then we would talk about Mad Max 2, and then we would oh. talk about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> and then we eventually would talk about Mad Max Fury Road. What's the long-term take on this? Would How would we get past episode, what, five? I think the long-term take is that Mad Max is awesome. Uh, yeah. That's that's going to be like the thesis of the show. And then right. I think like, I'm, I'm thinking like for those four movies, like 20, 25 episodes should do it. Uh, let's just move on. Um, Joseph, do you want to take uh, 30 seconds to just give me a synopsis of your book? I would be so happy to. Nick, in Los Angeles, a reporter investigating a series of murders is killed in chapel hill north carolina a beautiful medical intern suddenly disappears in the sequel to along came a spider the first alex cross novel alex cross is back to solve the most baffling and terrifying murder case ever two clever serial killers are collaborating cooperating competing 
and they're working coast to coast, baby. Alex Patterson, uh, James Patterson, Alex Cross, 500 pages. Kiss the girls. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, so that, that would be our, uh, that would be just going right to the sequel that it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we skipped the first yeah. one, right? Yeah. So we, we, we went straight to Empire Strikes Back or straight to Mad Max 2, if you will. Or straight <laughs> straight to Attack of the Clones. Straight to, <laughs> straight to Godfather 2. Straight um, to... I think we've definitely talked about Thunderdome before. <laughs> Possibly. This, is, this all feels very familiar. Blue all over again. Mm-hmm. Joe, my uh, youthful child has recently learned to do what I can only describe as the human equivalent of the surprised emoji. Um, he <laughs> okay. kind of does. Well, Lidheads, Lidheads, you can't see this, but he kind of does this <gasps> um, with complete with a hand to the mouth. It, it's cute. it's yeah, that's cute. He does it extremely cutely when he throws his food on the floor and then he acts surprised like, oh, my gosh, how did that get down there? Um, Maybe you should pick it up, old man. (laughs) I imagine your book inspiring just tons of these just shocked emojis. Oh, Mm. it is twists and turns and roundabouts. It is. Is it Ian? Ian, does he also do the brown emoji a lot? Because he's a little baby. (laughs) I was was teaching him the word poop today. Yeah. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Wait, the I've never heard it called the brown emoji. I I did not say the word. You're trying not to say poop. Say the word. This is uh, obviously an extremely G-rated podcast. Yeah, we should should, uh, have a little sanctity (laughs) here, guys. Have a little respect for Hunter and Alicia. It's their special day. Um, Ian, do you want to take... 30 emojis and tell me what your book is about. You bet. Literary fiction can sometimes be code for lightly plotted, but every so often a book comes around that is as engagingly told as it is beautifully written. Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch is such a novel. Coming of age tale set in the wake of tragedy. It's as much a page turner as any pulpy genre novel. (coughs) Kiss the girls. (coughs) Thanks to the fate of its titular painting, which went missing in a museum bombing that killed 13 year old Theo Decker's mother. Theo's world is upended as he moves in first with a wealthy friend in New York, then with his deadbeat father in Las Vegas, before later returning to New York. It's a powerful story of redemption for its flawed and deeply sympathetic narrator, and it was a worthy recipient of the 2014 Pulitzer Prize. I think it would be Mm. cool to move in with a wealthy friend in New York, but I also think it would be pretty cool to move in with a deadbeat dad in Las Vegas. Oh, well, Uh, it's just a lot wrong with that sentence. Uh, Ian, I was going to say that you have to go last because you went well over your time. I but did just I need to punish Joe for whatever just came out of his mouth. So, <laughs> Ian, why don't you go first? <laughs> this is bullshit. OK, I will. <laughs> um, that that so, sorry, that was long. I this book was voted like a top top 10, top 20 on a lot of decade and dec, end of decade lists. That was actually not my words. Those were not my words. Those are the words of Paste magazine, which voted it 15th best book of the 2010s. Um, they should have done, done a little bit more cutting, a little less pasting. Yeah. They should have omitted <laughs> needless words. Yeah, but I do. I really do like because I, I like the quote, and I wanted to read the whole thing because um, this is the interesting thing about this book is it, is it is both I think highbrow and what we might call middlebrow. It is got to be low. Oh, okay. Well, no, no, it's no not lowbrow. Low like kiss the girls. Right. Uh, <laughs> wow. yeah, that, I will have enough. That is enough. Uh, objection. No, 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 he no, can't no, be no. slamming my not, book. Before. No, it's it's not like it's not like legitimate like pulp it's not it's not mass-produced schlock it's it's literary fiction so it is clearly like doing something artistic but it's also really really fun it's a page turner um which i um, did not expect i'm gonna start us off by reading a fan of the show and loyal lithead alicia's comment yeah uh, 
Okay, here we go. Uh, Alicia writes, uh, I'm a very big reader and I write the books sometimes a little harshly. Uh, and I write the books sometimes a little harshly I've read on Goodreads. After over 12 years of doing this and 873 books read, that's unbelievable. It's a lot, you it's a take lot over of books. <laughs> hey, like, like we read a lot of books for this show, but we do not read as many books as Alicia reads. She's at like I mean, 80, 12 years. Yeah. Guys. I didn't even know they made that many. Uh, there are only 25 that I have awarded five stars. The Goldfinch was one of them. And although it is quite long, it was a very worthy read. I hear the movie was terrible. That's what I heard too, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I really like the cinematographer, but I hear the movie's terrible. Uh, so I decided not to torture myself with that. Some books are better just uh, left just being read, not adapted to the screen. Mm-hmm. I, oh, she also re- uh, writes this. I love your podcast. Oh, Alicia, thank we you. love That's your podcast. Nice. By Alicia. Which mean, thank you for, for submitting uh, this recommendation. Yeah, it was. I would agree. This is a five star book. This is um, this is uh, it's, it's unlike any book I've read. It's a it's a fancy book for fancy people, but it's also a fun book for fun people. Mm. Sure. It's highbrow. It's high art. It has a mission. It has a perspective. If you've read a lot of books, like say if you've read like 873 books and you've seen all of the tricks before Mm -hmm. you read this book and you go, oh, this is a little different. This is this is doing something different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think I think that's worth worth five stars for me. If I had an extra star, I would disperse it but um i, I that's don't that's not possible I'm, I'm out i'm i'm frankly out of out of those so so ian tell us what it's all about tell us the book that this book is about okay let me start by sending you guys a picture oh i love it when we send pictures can we describe it for the little and this this picture should also go up on the uh on the on the socials because litheads well it's this book is centered around a real a real life painting oh it's goldfinch yeah okay uh, Ian has just shared a picture of a goldfinch. Yes, of there it is, a goldfinch. The, the bird. So this is a very famous painting. It exists in real life. Um, there is some history on it. I can tell you a little bit about the history if you want, but that's not super important to what the novel is doing. In this book, uh, our main character, Theo, goes to the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York with his mom. Mm. And they're going to see a bunch of stuff. This painting is there. It's on it's on a tour. It's an exhibition. And while they're there, this is like early in the book. First like chapter while they're there. Terrorists bomb the museum. What? Lots and lots of bombs. You could say the story begins with a bang. Um, <laughs> and That's good, yeah. mom dies. Oh, these are not okay. really spoilers because like I say, this is all like the setup. Yeah. It's just like you, you open this book and you get, you, you like, you maybe know it. You won the Pulitzer, you know, it was the 30, it was on the New York times bestseller list for 30 weeks. You know, like this is a, this is a fancy book and it starts off very gripping, very page turning. Um, so Theo is in the museum. A lot of awards, Joe. separated from his it's mom. Really we later Hunter. find out she's dead. He's like kind of in this fugue state. Cause obviously there's been bombs and stuff. And he comes across this guy trapped in the rubble and this guy is dying and this guy is kind of fading in and out of consciousness. And he says, go over to that wall and steal that painting. Mm-hmm. I insist on it. And wow. What oh, the- <laughs> so wait, a guy that is hurt in the rubble t- yeah. says to Theo, who's a child is Theo yes, a yeah. child. Yes. How yeah, old he's a child? 
Like, um, it, there's probably a, like he, he's he's not a teenager. He's young. Should we say ten? Yeah, but between, between ten and twelve, I think the book says. I frankly don't recall right now. But he's mm-hmm. a kid. He's like he's like he's not a kid. even a teen. He's, a he's a kid. And there's this man in the rubble, and he's like, kid, listen go to me. Go steal some my, stuff. My dying request is you got to go get that bird. It's not even that coherent. Like mm-hmm. this guy, like I say, fading in and out of consciousness. Okay. Is he's, this a rosebud situation? Is he like painting? painting or, he's like, or does he wake up and he's like yeah does he say goldfish <laughs> or, <laughs> or is he like hey kid i'm walking <laughs> <laughs> no i don't believe I'm the phrase i'm here. walking Go steal here some shows stuff. up ever That's kind in of this novel a wild request so mm-hmm. um, it is it is and like okay. this is this is one of the things like the novel early on because because theo does he goes to the wall he takes the painting love that yep and he, he just straight up does some international art theft right away after and terrorists have blown up the building. And that seems wow. like it's going to put Theo in a bad spot. Oh, baby, it does. <laughs> so like the rest of the novel, I'm like, that's that's hmm. all I'll tell you about plot, because the rest of the novel is Theo kind of dealing with and coping with these two major events in his life, which occur so close together. He and his mom were really close. Like she was his dad's out of the picture until he shows back up and he's a mess. Deadbeat, whatever. But he and his mom were really tight. And she's dead and he copes with that. And like survivor's guilt and stuff for the rest of the novel. Also, he steals the painting and it's immediately like they find out they're like, uh, yeah, like top 10 most wanted stolen art pieces. Um, he's living in fear. Mm-hmm. There are Russians trying to steal it back. And so the mafia oh, gets involved. Man. There's wow. got, count guys. Count him with me. Okay. Count him with yep. me. There's one. drugs. One. There's fake antiques. Two. There's murder with guns. Three. There's Russians and mm-hmm. Ukrainians. Whoa, There's a little four. dog named Popchik. Okay. And there is more coming of age you can shake a stick at. That's really good. That's a lot of stuff going on in one book, Ian. Well, no seven hundred pages. pages. He's got a lot, a lot of, of stuff to for uh, the youth, the the youth to have to bear on his shoulders. Oh, yeah. Is that what the book is getting at? The, the complexity of the, the youth and what we have to deal with these days. Also, can we are we just supposed to like brush back past the fact that some little kid stole a painting like and that's like what he just does? Yeah, he's like, all right, that died. He's like, well, asked. my mom just died, but I guess mm-hmm. um, it it's weird. Very, very peculiar. So <laughs> I feel like it's a, like a setup that needs to happen really early. Otherwise, it'll be too unbelievable to happen later on. In the yes, book. <laughs> right, right. So so we don't like get to know him before real much before he steals this painting. We just know exactly, that, like, yeah, he goes to the art museum. He mm-hmm. thinks he's going to be in trouble at school for something like he's already overwrought. Um, and then obviously the building explodes and his mother is he's separated from his mother and she does this amazing thing with like describing what it's like to be stumbling through the rubble as he tries to like escape it's very otherworldly very very uh surreal um mm-hmm. so he's like in a in a messed up place and there's this guy who is like obviously dying there's a the, our theo our kid our main character kid he like he's never had to deal with death in the first person before he's never had to watch mm-hmm. someone die and he does. Yeah. And this guy is insistent and he's trapped. Theo can't help him out. And the guy's like, listen, you need to take that painting. And Theo's like, dad, uh, uh, can I, are there any other final requests you have? <laughs> no, maybe a glass of water, maybe like painting. last will and testament painting. Does he provide a reason to steal the painting? Good question. Now he doesn't, but mm-hmm. the book does over okay. the course of the book. We learn 
why the painting is important. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about that at the end of my time today. Oh, um, a teaser. Yeah, mm, I'll get very to Very good etiquette. But the, the reason for this is really good. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, this book is a both a Pulitzer Prize winner and a New York Times bestseller. As I mentioned, it is both a thinker and it is fun. And I think that kind of makes this book evergreen. Um, you guys know what this phrase means, right? Like when you talk about, oh, that's evergreen. Yeah, like you can yep. just keep coming back to it. It's, it yeah. never loses its shine. Like the tree. Sure. Yes, yeah. we can keep coming back to the tree. <laughs> good. <laughs> Correct. Great. That's good. We don't have to pause. Let's just move on. Anyway, uh, this book is evergreen because it's got, it, it's, it's, um, re- you can and return birds to Birds like it's got trees. Birds. <laughs> and it's got cones. <laughs> no, it's got these, it's got these big thoughts. It's also got this really engrossing story. So I keep talking about these big thoughts. Here's a really good example. I sent you guys that picture of the, the bird lead heads. You can Google this or look at our social media. It should probably be up on our social media at some point. This is the painting, the goldfinch. This is painted um, way back in like 400 years ago by a, uh, an artist named Fabricius. And the painting has this goldfinch and he's very kind of impressionistically rendered um, he's perched on a little, little perch when there's a box, but if you look closely, you can see that there is a chain attached to the leg of the goldfinch, which is keeping the goldfinch from flying away. And this image of the chained goldfinch, like it's a, it's a symbol of the bird is a symbol of like brightness and joy and, you know, freedom and like free free as a bird. But uh, he's cha- like there is a chain that keeps him from flying too far. And I think this image and what this image, this symbol can mean, whether it refers to Theo and how he is chained to his memory of his mother or to drugs or to um, the painting itself. The painting itself kind of acts as a, as a restraint on him or to guilt. There's all kinds of things that this could mean. And she never comes out and says, and this is what this means. And this equals that. And it's all clear and straightforward. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do that. I don't like that. So it's got these big ideas, but it's also really engrossing. Uh, so Ian, why should I read this book? Why should okay. anybody read this okay. book? Okay. okay. So here's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, this is the best representation of New York I have ever read. I am notorious mm-hmm. for never wanting to live in New- never wanting to live in New York. Never have. I don't get the appeal, appeal the allure. Yep. You've heard it here first. Litheads. The litheads if you were wondering, it. Ian I is not I'm, interested I'm in living in New York. The whole thing doesn't. <laughs> no. Nope. But you know what? For the first time ever reading this book, I was like, not I want to move there, but I can see why people would like this place. Mm-hmm. I get it. <laughs> I understand. Okay, so this book will. Make it's you like, want to move to the big city. Is this a big city it's book? It's like it is absolutely a big city book. It's, oh it's like, it's it's like Damn, New York is a This book has character. everything. This um, book is like a culmination of all the episodes we've ever done. Um, Donna Tart writes altered states really well. Here's another reason why. Um, there are like emotional, there's like emotional states. Theo is depressed. He's panicked. Uh, he's There's a lot of self-loathing. Um, there's also a lot of drugs, as I mentioned. And she writes his perspective so well. Not kid like, drugs? Sorry, what? Kid drugs? No, he grows Is up. This, it's a b- 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 buildings roman. So 
Oh, I don't. I don't know. Oh, I didn't know it covered. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he, he's span of time. I also don't think I totally got that sense. Like I kind of pictured him as eleven years old, like selling no, this furniture. No, he steals the painting. He, he oh, kind of kicks around crucial. in various people's houses. He goes to Vegas. The Vegas mobster shows up with a baseball bat. I just assume this kid was like driving around with Russian <laughs> mobsters. <laughs> that, no, that would be I, that, honestly, that I book would be that's, awesome. That's, that's, that's a book. I smell a prequel. No, he he or, grows up over the course of the book, and he does more drugs as the book goes on. Yeah, um, it's really um, all clicking now for me. Yeah, he's you, had a lot Ian? of trauma, Joe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know what you know what him trying to return that painting reminds me of. Do you know how like libraries have free returns periods where yeah. they're like, hey, 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 if you return your library book right now, we will I'm forgive sorry. all Joe, of your I'm fines. Joe, I'm have to ever. stop you right here. It's a truth berry. <laughs> truth berries have. I'm sorry. Truth berries have. Um, truth, so ber- truth berries have these free return where they're like, look, we're forgiving all fines. Mm-hmm. Maybe art museums should have the same thing <laughs> where it's like, hey, oh, like, guys, I'll close my eyes. Yeah, you mm-hmm. put yep. you put it. Put, put it on, on the steps. steps. I promise yeah, I won't be mad. Yeah, I promise we, we won't like we be mad. Back, right? Um, it's a good idea, Joe. Thank, thank you. you. So Tar does a really <laughs> Tar does a really good job writing these. They, you know, how sometimes there are feelings that we can't really articulate, but we still feel really, really powerfully. Theo's voice does that. It's impressionistic. It's not representative. We are getting the vibes. Um, so, like, he he talks about depression or he talks about detoxing, and it's not like. And then my heart started to race and, and my fingertips prickled. I mean, there is a little bit of that, but there's a lot more him narrating like what this does to him. And we're not supposed to, to comprehend it. We're not supposed to completely wrap our minds around it. We're just supposed to, to get it, to apprehend it, to put our hands on it. And this gets, this kind of her, her expression of the inexpressible gets to what I like most about this book. And that is... On, 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 you don't know it on this podcast, we talk a lot about loving books and about how hard it is to talk about the books that we love and to talk about why we love the books that we love. And, you know, there are other things like it's not just books, movies, beers, places, there are certain alpacas that we just adore uh, Mm. for whatever reason. And it's hard to put into words what we like about them, like why we like them so dang much. And, Near the end of this book, um, Tart kind of explains, she doesn't like say, and here's why that old dead guy was trying to get the painting, but she kind of reveals it a bit. And this is what she says. One of our characters is describing or explaining the reasoning behind the dead guy um, uh, wanting that painting so bad. What's to say? Great paintings, People flock to see them. They draw crowds. They're reproduced endlessly on coffee mugs and mouse pads and anything you like. And I count myself in the following. You can have a lifetime of perfectly sincere museum going where you traipse around enjoying everything and then go out and have some lunch. But if a painting really works down in your heart and changes the way you see and think and feel. You don't think, oh, I love this picture because it's universal. I love this painting because it speaks to all mankind. That's not the reason anyone loves a piece of art. It's a secret whisper from an alleyway. You, hey kid, yes, you. An individual heart shock. Your dream, their dream, Vermeer's dream. 
You see one painting, I see another, the art book puts it at another remove. Still, the lady buying the greeting card at the museum gift shop sees something else entire, and that's not even to mention the people separated from us by time. 400 years before us, 400 years after we're gone, it'll never strike anybody the same way. And the great majority of people, it'll never strike in any deep way at all, but a really great painting is fluid enough to work its way into the mind and heart through all kinds of different angles, in ways that are unique and very particular. Yours, yours, I was painted for you. Welty himself, this is the dead guy, Welty himself used to talk about fateful objects. Every dealer and antiquary recognizes them. The pieces that occur and recur. Maybe for someone else, not a dealer, it wouldn't be an object. It'd be a city, a color, a time of day. The nail where your fate is liable to catch and snag. So that idea of paintings or art, I think for us, it might be books or movies, fluid enough to work its way into the mind and heart through all kinds of different angles, but it feels particular to you somehow. And this is such a great way of stating, yeah, I can't describe why I love George Eliot's Middlemarch so much because it's unique, it's special to me. And it might not even be that special to you, Nick, or you, Joe, or to you, Litheads. And that's like, that's bonkers. That's, that's, I can't wrap my mind around that. Yeah. Yeah. I think of like, I think of books that have been really important to me. Right. And like, we've talked about the phenomenon on this show where you have this book, especially from your youth that you really loved when you were young and you're terrified to reread it because you're afraid it's not the same, right? You're afraid it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny anymore. And it, when you get a book like that, it really does feel like this book was written for me. Like this book is mine. Like it is saying exactly how I feel, exactly how I think. Yeah, I totally get it. I think that's beautifully phrased. Guys, we've been reading so many long books lately. Long books, books, like mine's 500 pages. Ian's is 900 pages. It's too long. It's bullshit. Like why doesn't anybody write little books anymore? Are we going to do little books? Well, I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking books under 100 pages, but man, little books just sounds great. Really? You guys have yes. any little books for next week? Um, I do have a little book. My book is so little, it has the word little right in its title Ooh. or petite, if you Ooh, read is it, it little women? original oh, French. No, little, little woman, women. Little women. I'm confused with the theme. Is it, is it <coughs> little the women. autobiography of Lil Nas X? I actually don't think that exists. Um, but this is Le Petit Prince, uh, The Little Prince, first published in 1945. Nick, this book's like, I, I don't even, I don't think it's even close to 100 pages. I think this book is like 70 pages long. Great. Well, that, that qualifies. I'm going to bring, it's kind of like a long, short story. It's kind of like a short, long story. You might call mm. it a novella. It's called Story oh. of Your Story of Your Life. And if you've ever seen the television movie film Arrival, Arrival is based on Story of Your Life. So um, it's a very, a very mind-bending uh, science fiction philosophy thing. Language stuff. It's gonna be hard to talk about. Not because I love it so much. I love it's fine, but because it's really hard to talk about. So I look forward to pitting that against Joe's piece of 
whatever it is, French modernism? Uh, yeah, 140 million copies is is what my book sold. Uh, how many did your what arrival is, book What sell? a little bitch. God. 140 God, million copies. you sound like copies. such a little bitch, Joe. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting into the little... The small-minded part hey, of I'm it. I'm just pointing out facts. 140 million copies. <laughs> one of the most translated books ever. Uh, this is awkward when um, when we move on and Joe presents his book now. Which <laughs> is dwarfed in comparison to Ian's awards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you know what my book does well? What James Patterson does well is fair enough. He hasn't won all of the awards that Ian has won. But do you know what James Patterson has done well with his Alex Cross series and the other like 180 books that he's written? Ooh, ooh, let's, uh, let's, let's guess. Yeah, let's guess. Yeah, let's go ahead and guess. Um, um, Nick, okay. do you want to start guessing? I think I think what he's done well with his David Cross book series is he's educated people on the dangers of biting an icicle. Okay, uh-huh. good. That was funny. Yep, um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess making it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick. I'm going to absolutely accept that answer. Um, James Patterson is like a quadrillion air. This mm, man wow. sells good books. Man. Um, he good man. That's how we do know how worthy somebody is, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's right. James Patterson, uh, it is estimated that one in every, I'm sorry, 6% of all hardcover books sold in America in a year are James Patterson books. Jesus. <laughs> he sells no, more. Run that, run that stat by me again. I was Googling whether he was a billionaire. He's not. Go ahead. <laughs> um, 6% of all hardcover books sold in the U.S. are written by James Patterson. Um, he has sold more books than Stephen King, John Grisham, and Dan Brown combined. He is what he has written and i'm gonna put written in so a this is an up-and-coming author little bit of scare quotes here he has written 200 plus books in his lifetime he's had 114 of them on the new york times bestseller list it's estimated that last year he made 90 million dollars and has a lifetime earnings somewhere around 800 million dollars from his writing oh he's almost ready to buy twitter Mm-hmm. James Patterson, mm-hmm. a book heavyweight is what I would call him. Mm-hmm. Good at booking. Good at booking. Okay, so Nick, the thing that I have to say right away is James Patterson gets a lot of controversy around <gasps> oh, him. Oh, nice. <gasps> Let's yeah. do it. All right, we canceling this guy. Is he done? Let's get him out of here. Let's no, no, case. no. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. It's, it's kind of like literary world controversy. Like they aren't they aren't about to cancel him, but there's a lot of sideways looks at how he goes about writing and publishing books. Okay, like he just steals the stories or what what, oh, what, are, we, what are we talking about? Oh, here? I know this. Yeah. So it's it's like a Go ahead. it's like a ghostwriting thing right people are like yeah. oh you can't be producing books that fast james Come right on. like nobody writes eight books a year james patterson <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i just did some math on alicia blake's um stats with 872 books and so forth over mm-hmm. 12 years that's 72 that's approximately 72 books a year yeah that's it is a lot more of books. it is it's significantly more books than we read for this show and we read a lot of books for this show. it's significantly more books than james patterson writes every year that's for sure uh, mm-hmm. uh alicia your time is done i'd like to read from hunter now okay it's hunter's turn it's hunter come center stage hunter uh hunter reads uh i read this book last year and i thought it was super interesting i had a I have very bad reading stamina and struggle to get through books. I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, 
But this was a book I struggled to put down. It is a mystery story try, about trying to find a kidnapper who is kidnapping young girls across America. I think it's a great read. Perfect. Um, so uh, Hunter asks a side question. Oh, we God, yes. All, all submissions, if they have any questions about the, uh, the book they're submitting, the theme they're submitting, or uh, whatever. So, Litheads, if you'd ever like to just ask Ian Joe a question, feel free to head over to our website. You don't know litpodcast.com. He asks, what do you guys think of the Iliad? <laughs> um, I'll go first because I am going to say something a little embarrassing for an English teacher. I have never read the Iliad. Damn, here we go. Wow, that is embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I have never read the Iliad. I, in fact, <laughs> never read the Odyssey until I taught the Odyssey for the first time. I mean, my that first happens. time teaching. Yeah, that happens. Um, so I've never read the Iliad. I have read the Song of Achilles, which I've talked about on this show, and I loved that, which is kind of like a novelization of the Iliad uh, with a lot of like character work and stuff like that. Um, so that's my take on it. Okay. One point of shame, Ian. Yep. DNS. Um, for... <laughs> DNS. Um, for for me, I would I guess I would just do a little poem for my reaction, oh which is oh as follows. Wow. The Iliad yeah. is pretty rad. That's my poem. Wow. I think it's good. It's beautiful. I liked it. Uh, you know how I knew it was a good poem? Because it rhymed. And it was oh, short. Wait. Rhymed One second. Short. Oh, Joe, wait, Joe wait, are you going to come I, back I with a poem? I'm just poem. finding uh, something here. The, the Iliad, the Smelliad. No. Wow. Unbelievable. Joe, really you've done, done ruined it again. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, do, would you agree with your champion here, Hunter? You know, I think it's interesting because he talks about reading stamina, and this is something that teachers talk about quite a bit. Um, we have a lot of students who just they cannot sit with a book for any extended period of time. Like if you ask a kid to read something for 20 minutes, they, and it's not that they don't want to do it. Although that sometimes is the case. They physically often are unable to do that. And, and I think that's what Hunter's talking about here. Um, this book I think could be the first dose of the, of the vaccination against reading stamina, right? Like this book. Sorry, is could you slow down and do that one more time? I don't, <laughs> I don't think I understand. The first dose of yeah, the vaccination yeah, yeah. against reading stamina. What does that mean? I was going to say like the cure for reading stamina. And then I'm like, well, it's a little bit strong. Like this book isn't going to fix your reading stamina. But I do think it could be, it could like help. This book is absolutely page turning. It is absolutely unput downable. The word that kept coming to mind as I was reading this is it is propulsive. Like mm. it keeps you turning pages. It like keeps you going from chapter to chapter like a boat, like a rocket ship. <laughs> Good, Nick. <laughs> um, now, now, Joe, let's ask the important questions. If you threw this book in the water, would it float? Would it, would it float? It's propulsive, guys. Not only would it uh, float, it would skim across the top question, of the water. question, Your Honor. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, we're... <laughs> How long would it float? Because I nope, think no. I've heard that Over, water is, no, Johnny Depp water style is, overruled. <laughs> Joe, Joe, what's your okay. book about? <laughs> okay. Well, I do want to finish talking about James Patterson just a little bit here because I didn't talk about why he was totally Did he write this book, Joe? He, okay. So he did write <laughs> this book. So James Patterson um, was an advertising executive, got his PhD at Vanderbilt, was an advertising executive for years and publishing novels on the side with a decent de a degree of success. Um, he won something called an Edgar Award in, 1990, or in 1977 for the first book that he published. And he kind of wrote books here and there until he hit on the Alex Cross series. He wrote Along Came a Spider, a book you might have heard of, in 1993. Then he wrote his second Alex Cross book, Kiss the Girls, the book I brought this week in 1995. 
And then he retired from his advertising job because he basically launched into literary right. superstardom overnight. Yeah, that makes sense. So the controversy with him, though, is that he like like he doesn't write the books anymore. Um, instead, what he does is. So he puts together outlines. And when we say outlines, what he puts together is something like for a 500 page book. Oh my God. It's something like 80 to 100 pages of like detailed play by play. He talks about like what characters are doing. He talks about, he talks through action sequences. He talks um, about like how it should feel. And then he partners with a co-writer very frequently, like a co-author. He'll work with ghost authors or I'm sorry, with ghost writers. Very frequently, these are people that that have some literary success of their own are, are like other writers. Lately, he's been doing some high profile ones. Um, he's recently written a book with Dolly Parton. He's recently written a book with Bill Clinton, right? About oh, the president what a being kidnapped. Oh, what a marketer. <laughs> so yeah, he puts together these 80 page outlines, sends them to his co-author and they put together the book. And a lot of authors look at that and they raise their eyebrows and they say, hey, that really doesn't feel fair. <laughs> not cool. And James dude, not Patterson cool. goes, ka-ching. You guys, you guys want to sit here and criticize, but I'd like to, to talk about a word I like to call opportunity for you don't know lit. Uh-huh. Is this? James, are you listening? James. 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 Uh, Mr. Patterson. Mr. Doctor. Dr. Patterson. Dr. Patterson, I'd like to introduce you to a wild cast of characters. <laughs> Too many butlers. <laughs> you got them all. You got the guy from Jersey who's in Texas for some reason. You got the mean old one who was like clearly did it. <laughs> and and the rest. The rest. <laughs> and kind the of rest. colorful cast of characters. Yeah. I'd well, say it's so. more Dr. Patterson, if I may. Doctor. If this is within your genre. Like thrillers, mystery right. stuff. Right. Dude. This is right up your right. Joe, up your what's your book about? Holy shit. Um, Nick, Alex Cross is a cop and Alex, Cro- Alex Cross is like a really good cop. He's six foot three. Doesn't really have that much to be to do with Wait, being a that, cop. Does that factor into him being a good cop? Yeah, it, it's on his Tinder profile. He's tall. He's like strong and really handsome. Oh, he's also um, a doctor. And he's a really good doctor. He's a psychologist, but he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Is this doctor? Oh, what are, are his is initials? He? Is his name Alex James Patterson Cross? Is this like a self-insert situation? Um, he also has a washboard stomach that gleams in the afternoon light. He plays the piano. He plays Nora Jones and Coltrane. And when the phone rings, he's like, ah, oh, it's probably the FBI again wanting my help on a case. But I don't really have time for the FBI because I'm really into being a dad because I'm a damn good dad. Is this, wow. I'm sorry, is this Edward Cullen? Does he sparkle? So like this book gets sometimes dragged through the coals, right? Like James Patterson sometimes gets dragged through the coals and people say, how is this so popular? It's so damn silly or so damn obvious or so damn cliche or whatever the case might be. And like this book is a lot of those things. Like the women in this book are pretty one dimensional. The violence in this book is pretty gratuitous. The book is not beautifully written. With that said, this book is absolutely undeniable. I use the word propulsive. Undeniable. It is undeniable. Like when I read this book, it is so hard to imagine anybody who's up for a good time 
not liking this book. I can imagine going into this book with like literary pretensions and being like, well, I only read serious literature that's trying to do, you know, do something. That sounds familiar. That sounds like a direct (laughs) blow. I can imagine somebody like that (laughs) not liking this book and not giving this a chance. But if you're just looking to like for something entertaining, it's one of the most entertaining books I've read. Well, okay. I, I guess I got to say this carefully because I don't want to sound like a like a big old meeting. Um, <laughs> oh. Probably don't say it at all. No, I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Ian, Joe, if you don't have anything Joe, nice to it say, it sounds like it sounds like you're saying this is a good book if you want to have a good time. But it also sounds like it might appeal to certain ideas of what a good time is. Not all of us have the same idea of a good time. Maybe my idea of a good time is a female character who has more more than two lines and those lines are more more complex than oh mr cross you're so gorgeous right like, and your abs are gleaming you're out do, do you put oil on those abs of yours <laughs> no um, they're naturally gleaming <laughs> i secrete this oil myself baby oh god don't say that word <laughs> what, what myself um joe joe here's here's my thing like I dig what you're saying, and I'm I'm the first one to just be all in on a fun book. But it sounds like for some people, this might not just be not their cup of tea, but not offensive. That's too far. Sure. Like un like unpleasant. Like there might be right. some people who would read this book and be like, actually, ew. So like Yeah, okay. So I, I think that's totally legitimate, right? Like I think there are people that would read this book and be like, oh, this is just gross. Right. Like Alex Cross is gross. Like the, the, the plotting is gross. Does it talk down to anybody? I don't understand. Is that how he writes? No, I don't think it talks down to anybody. I, I think Ian's grabbing onto like the one dimensional women character, female characters and like the gratuitous violence and things like that. And this book is like it's about serial killers, right? Like there are sexual scenes in this. There's like graphic murders in this and things like that. Um, gotcha. Yep. So that that's what Ian's grabbing onto so, here. Gotcha, Ian. So when Joe says this book's awesome, everybody will love it. <laughs> that might be from his perspective. <laughs> right. Was, that's, uh, that's the point I'm trying to make. But but Joe, it sounds gotcha. like it sounds like this this maybe hits a pretty wide. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. low, but a pretty wide denominator. Like damn, it sure. sounds like you yeah. just said low. No, I, my first <laughs> I first thought that, but no, it's a, there's a lot of people who would be like, heck yeah, give me them serial killers. Give me them sexy scenes. I'll do it. There was, you know, when Elvis Presley was was popular, um, the phrase that they used to say, because people would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe people like that music. It's so whatever. It's so whatever. And the phrase that people would say is, hey, 50 million Elvis Presley fans can't be wrong. Right. And I, that's what you're talking about when you say broad. Um, you know, 50 million is just a start for James Patterson. <laughs> you know, the guy sold like 300 million books. So I think like, is it broad? Yeah, and people really like it. And does does James Patterson or does Alex Cross use the word broad to describe women? <laughs> he, oh, he, no, he never does. But you know what they do? He talks about like when he gets criticism for like his writing or like his writing process specifically. He says, look, like I do the plotting. I'm really into building the stories. I like doing that stuff. I'm not super into like the nuts and bolts of actually crafting the sentences. Mm-hmm. He says, like, I just leave that workman like stuff for somebody else. <laughs> That's for the heavy lifters. <laughs> That's for the heavy lifters. <laughs> but then he says in an interview, and I loved this line, he says, you know, honestly, I see myself like kind of a showrunner 
right? Like mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. who's in charge of all this, they're in charge of the feeling like, sure, other people write the script, but in a lot of ways, I'm responsible for what shows up on the screen. And then the quote that I loved is he says, and when you look at like Vince Gilligan from Breaking Brad, he doesn't take shit like I do. People are like, go right. for Gilligan. This guy's great. Right. Think of him as a creator. Sure. I, 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 as I was doing opposition research on this, one mm-hmm. of the quotes I ran across was like, Patterson has built a home entertainment empire and it's goes yeah. beyond like he just writes novels like there, there, there are films and there are like, it's, it's, right. it's franchise. It, it, it is like, it is, it's a, it's an empire. Like he, he has built an absolute empire. So as for things that people like about this book, Nick, like I've talked about it, like keeping you moving forward. It is genuinely thrilling at places. It's genuinely mysterious. Like you want to know who these serial killers are, what they have to do with one another, how they manage to stay one step ahead of Alex Cross, who is so clearly awesome. The idea of them having two serial killers is really interesting and not something I'd seen before and how the serial killers like play off each other and kind of collaborate with each other or kind of compete with each other. There's tons of different point of view chapters. So like, it's not just Alex Cross's like hard boiled voice all the time. Like we get point of view chapters from the girls being abducted. We get point of view chapters from like cops and FBI agents. We get like some from the serial killers themselves. And even with that quasi omniscient point, like view, we still have a big mystery. Like we have a ton of information and we still have the mystery. Um, Nick, the chapters in this are super short. They're like two to three pages long each. This is actually the first. (laughs) This is the thing. Like literally Nick, like two pages, three pages long. These chapters are, is there a reason like in the, in the structure? Like, is there like a justification for that? Or is this just like, Nope, that's good enough. I think, you know, we've talked before about oh, I, the quote that I always butcher about like cinema being life with the boring pieces cut out. I think in a lot of ways, um, James Patterson is just saying like, hey, I'm going to write a detective like thriller and I'm just going to cut the boring stuff out. Like mm. we don't need a 30 page chapter describing something like I'm going to give you the three pages of the stuff that matters. He picked his a lane. A little bit of snappy dialogue and we're going to and a cliffhanger at the end of the chapter, like a little baby cliffhanger. And we're going to move on. This is actually the first book that I read a large chunk of on my phone. I've never huh. done that before, but you can just like, like, Brutal. yeah, you can just sit down and snap through a chapter very quickly. That's the thing about cuts in a, in a, in a movie. Like you can't have the, or like a TV show, you can't have the camera be still or, or on the same thing for more than like five seconds or two, or it starts to, to feel weird. Yeah. It, and like, and, it, this sounds like, this sounds like, the camera is cutting maybe yeah. not from always from character POV to POV, yeah. but the character like, Hey, we got three, we got two seconds on this shot and two seconds on this shot, two pages on this three pages from this. Well, and when Hunter talks about reading stamina being like, Hey, I have a hard time getting through a book. I totally understand why this is the one that he can't put down because of that camera is snapping from one scene to the next. And they do kind of build this, um, th- this, this collage of a story and he ends up intrigued these serial killers are 
have pretty interesting profiles. Alex Gross is, of course, a psychologist, so he profiles these killers and tries to figure out what makes them tick. Um, and and these serial killers stay one step ahead of Alex Cross, and he kind of gets closer and closer and closer to them until, you know, the extremely thrilling climax of this there's, book. There's no way he doesn't catch this guy. Well, I don't want to say. Guys. <laughs> well, and that brings me to the last thing that I like. The thing I like most is... You know, as always with these killers, the identity of them is it's the whole puzzle, right? Like it's the whole thing that we have to figure out. And one of the things that I that I really dug about this book is when you find out the identity of the serial killer and we do get to those climactic chapters, you go, oh, my God. Not only is this like a pretty cool reveal and things like that, but the clues were there all along. Okay, so this is the question I always have. There will be no more questions. No, just the mystery. Mystery. They're they're like there are two kinds of mysteries: the ones that give you everything you need to know and like treat it like a puzzle, and the ones that you just you're all along for the ride, and then you things are revealed. Like, Mm -hmm. could you, if you're as smart as Alex Crumbs, could you figure this out? I, I, oh. The way that this book is written, right? Like we've talked about this before. Like, is this a mystery or is this a puzzle? Right? Yeah. Like, is yeah. it a mystery or is it a puzzle? And mm. this is a puzzle in this book, right? Nice. Like, if you are paying attention to what is going on, right, and, and you are picking you up, are. yeah, and you and boy, you better pay attention because these chapters are pretty short, guys. It's not that hard. <laughs> they go quick, folks. Lincoln, you'll miss it <laughs> if you're paying attention to what is going on. You have the information that you need to suss this out along with Alex Cross. So, I'd super recommend it. Hunter, great recommendation. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a page turner. I found it very difficult to put down. It was great. Lovely. Well, gentlemen, these both sound like wonderful books. Hunter, Alicia, thank you so much. Uh, But we've come to the... uh, what I like to call the Thunderdome execution mm-hmm. where, you know, finish him. Only one's metaphor. leaving folks. Mm. Um, uh, but I, I done put a twist on it. So, uh, oh, yeah, Joe, you lose. Um, but here comes the twist. Oh, Ian, you already read a beautiful quote. I did. Ian so Joe also loses. So Joe, can I'd you like say to that Ian also from, loses? No. Ian won today, oh, and so did Alicia. No. Alicia, we did it. But I want to hear some of this page turn. Yeah, yeah. She read us one of them short chapters, baby. Yeah. Litheads. Check it out. Uh, along with changing the word librarian to truthbrarian, there are other things hmm. you can do if you want to be active in the world today. One of them is um, liking us and following us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and so on and so forth. You can rate us five stars. You leave us a review at the podcast player of your choice or subscribe or whatever, whatever it is you do over there. Um, if you want to be a little bit more active, involved, you could tell a friend, just tell a bookish friend. Uh, two more things you can do, Litheads. One... Go to our website, you don't know that podcast.com and suggest a book or a theme or suggest a theme with two books already installed. That makes our job a lot easier. Yeah. Read the book. <laughs> Give us the notes. Yeah. Record a podcast episode. No, no, no. This is really cool because like you guys come up with combinations which are exciting. Yeah. Um, so we've got some of these, uh, on deck for future episodes and we're looking forward to those. The last most exciting thing you can do is as of now, we do have uh, free swag available. Uh, uh, you don't know that stickers are proliferating across the United States. I have mailed them to, uh, California 
and uh, South Carolina and Rhode Island and Wisconsin and a bunch of other places. Uh, let's get them in all 50 states and all all five uh, countries. Oh. All five countries. All five countries. Absolutely. Um, and when you get your stickers, Slitheads, there will be a handwritten note from one of us, probably me. And <laughs> there will be a request idea. to uh, share photos of your stickers in the wild and tag us on social media. We love, we're secretly very... Well, it's not so secret. We're openly very narcissistic and we love right. to see you don't know that stickers out in the wild. Words so, of affirmation is my love language. Um, get, get them out there. <laughs> stickers. Uh, of we appreciate you. Lit heads. Congratulations, Alicia. We did it. <sighs> All right. So I had this little quote that was pulled from one of James Patterson's outlines, like a quote from something that he supplies to that his ghostwriters <laughs> that he actually wrote. But instead, I'm going to read you the entirety of chapter 22 from Kiss the Girls. Oh, it's chapter like, 22, it's about, yes. It's very Damn. short. Um, Nick, now I'm a, I know what you're thinking. You're like, chapter 22 sounds pretty late in the book. I hope there's no spoilers. Right. Um, there are 123 chapters in this book. So this is Fantastic. pretty Sounds early. nice and early then. Um, the things that you need to know about this is Casanova is the name of one of our serial killers. That's a good uh, name for a serial killer. It's I, pretty good. Prepare to be thrilled. Uh, Joe, I am prepared. Mm-hmm. And Nick, I'm Great. also prepared. Thank you. Nick, are you prepared? Uh, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nick just took his shirt off. Um, <laughs> Casanova watched Dr. Alex Cross. His quick, sharp mind was whizzing about like a sophisticated computer. Probably the fastest computer in the whole research trial. <laughs> Look at Cross, he muttered, visiting Naomi's old friend. There's There's nothing to be found there. Doctor, you're not even warm yet. You're getting colder, actually. He followed Alex Cross at a safe distance as he walked across the Duke campus. He'd read extensively about Cross. He knew all about the psychologist and the detective who'd made his reputation tracking down a kidnapper killer in Washington. The so-called crime of the century, which was a lot of media hype and horse shit. Who's better at this game? He wanted to shout out to Dr. Cross. I know who you are. You don't know dog shit about me. You never will. Cross stopped walking. He took a pad from the back pocket of his trousers and he made a note. What's this, doctor? Had a thought of some consequence? I'd rather doubt that. I honestly do. The FBI, the local police, police, they've all been trailing me for months. I suppose they make notes too, but none of them has a clue. Casanova watched Alex Cross continue to walk across the campus until he finally disappeared from sight. The idea that Cross would actually track and capture him was unthinkable. It simply wasn't going to happen. He started to laugh and he had to catch himself since the Duke campus was fairly crowded on a Sunday afternoon. No one has a clue, Dr. Cross. Don't you get it? That's the clue. This sounds good. I'm going to read both these books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. 